0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th.
1: Hello there, future Ryan Bailey here, aka Captain Hindsight, with a little note ahead of this Euro 2020 Group D preview. This was recorded shortly before England played their friendly with Austria when a certain right back was injured and is now not featuring in the squad for the Euro 2020 tournaments. Just bear that in mind as you listen to today's show. I love you. Enjoy. To the Total Soccer Show and our ongoing quest to preview each group of the 2020 European Championships. In this episode, we are tackling Group D, a.k.a. the group where two TSS people have a specific vested interest in the activities of said group. Woo! My name is Ryan Bailey and joining me today is a man who claims to have included lines from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia in his wedding vows, Taylor Rockwell. Is that true, Taylor? That is true. It was more so, uh, it wasn't
2: lines, it was me uh, apologizing to my wife and thanking her for still loving me, even though I quote Always Sunny at least once a day.
1: I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I quote The Simpsons, Futurama, several other programs many times a day, and my (laughs) wife has tolerated it thus far.
2: Yeah, I think tolerated is the word to describe how my wife feels about my love (laughs) of Always Sunny. She likes it sometimes, but I think... Is I'll, I think her usual response when I ask if she wants to watch it is,
1: it's very loud, which is accurate. I can't, I can't deny that. Bless. Bless. Anyway, joining us is a man who I don't believe has given any wedding vows yet, but if he did, they probably include analysis. I'm thinking like XJ, expected jokes, <laughs> uh, completed attempts at <laughs> sincerity.
3: Joe Lowry, is that right? I'm going to need somebody to stop me big time. If I ever come to you guys with my wedding vows and be like, "Hey, I'm writing these through. I'm thinking about tossing a couple of expected stats in there." Like, is that is that a good idea? I'm going to need you guys to either slap me or just rip those up and tell me to write new ones because, man, that would just be that would just be too on brand and like not a good way.
2: What you want to do, Joe, is you want to make sure there's a recipe. That's what you should do. That's not the cliché thing at all. Just to make it be like a spice of a sprinkle of love, a <laughs> teaspoon of like, uh, togetherness. Do that. That's perfect.
1: Oh, uh, gosh, these are so <laughs> yeah. bad. So bad. Not so much. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, rounding out the gang today is a man who has a lovely wife and family, but who had the terrible misfortune to come into this world on Scottish soil. I'm so sorry, Graham <laughs> Uh
4: I didn't even give any vows in, at my wedding. I'm not even sure if we're legally married. That's just uh, how you do it in Scotland. We don't express any sort of emotion, so we just shake, <laughs> shook hands, and uh, that was it. Did <laughs> you do of it at your barber? Is that what you? Made? <laughs> your, your barber tackle shop? Uh, yeah, they, well, we didn't take them up on that service on that particular <laughs> service. That was
1: one uh, product that we didn't we didn't buy no from the from the barbers. Oh goodness me! Hang on, T- talk me through a Scottish wedding. Is it like stare at the floor and shamefully say adieu at some point? <laughs> they just go, "All right, pal," and then
4: uh, <laughs> and then they go, "All right, pal," back and then. Uh,
1: Yeah, just shake hands and then you get on with your day. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful non-repressed people you have in Scotland there. Well, uh, looking forward to hearing more about your great nation, Graham, as we are previewing Group D, which will be held in uh, my hometown of London and I believe your hometown of Glasgow. I know you live there. Is it your hometown, Graham? Just checking. Uh, It's not my hometown, but it's my adopted hometown. Yes, I'll I'll take that one. There we go. Well, this group contains England. It contains Croatia. Uh, I'm going to be talking about England, by the way. Taylor is going to be tackling the Croats here. Scotland is going to be down to Graham. Sorry, I didn't know why I said that. I'm going to be doing a lot of faux Scottish accents during the show. Just get used to it. And rounding it out, the Czech Republic. Joseph Lowry is going to be giving us all the hot stats there. Should we start with England, gents? Why don't I start the ball rolling with uh, the Three Lions? That is indeed their nickname. They have worn... Uh, we have worn... Can I say they or we? How are we doing this, uh, like, editorially, Taylor? I think it's, it's, it's however you want to go, my friend. Okay, maybe I'll flick between the two then. We wear three lions on a shirt, as we have done since the first ever international game in 1872. Graham, it was against scotland i imagine indeed yes it was indeed and apparently the three lines i did look into this um it was, comes back from king henry the Second times who had it on his crest back so in the 12th century
4: so you've had three lines on your shirt for this long and as taylor said in the last podcast you still can't find the space to <laughs> fit the one in at the bottom there's a little squished one how many years has it been over
1: 100 years <laughs> alright alright that's a gentle introduction to the, the playful banter we're going to be like having that, Graham. Ryan,
2: Ryan you've taken like six shots at Scotland already in <laughs>
0: Grand
1: fires one and you're like what Whoa, My stars
0: whoa,
1: whoa. <laughs> uh, one of the lions is smaller than the other that's all he's got so far Taylor I, I can take that one uh, England are touted uh, by some as favourites in this tournament not least the bookmakers who there might be some biases I mentioned before on this uh, podcast because a lot of the bookmakers being based in the UK they tend to give a bias towards that market it is very dangerous uh, for England to be in that position being favourites because they are a team who continually disappoint on the big stage, uh, not least in the Euros. Uh, This team, uh, you may remember Euro 2008, were not even present at that tournament, thanks to uh, one of the nations in this group in fact and also um, in 2016 uh, going out in the round of 16 with one of the biggest soccer national embarrassments that uh, nation has ever faced going out to Iceland. How did England get here? I hear you scream in unison. Uh, seven wins in qualifying, uh, with a single loss to uh, the Czech Republic in October uh, 2019. A 2-1 loss in Prague. At least we won't have to face those guys again soon. Oh, wait. Huh? Um, <laughs> but it is the England pattern of uh, generally acing qualifying and doing... Uh, underperforming in the tournament, getting a bit of stage fright. That's the way the England uh, uh, experience has tended to be in my lifetime. The coach is Gareth Southgate, Uh, who was a defender with Aston Villa and Middlesbrough, who famously destroyed uh, the national psyche in Euro 96, the aforementioned, um, in the semi-final stage by missing the crucial penalty against Germany during his playing career. He was brought in after the aforementioned Euro 2016 tournament, after Big Sam Allardyce's single game in charge, uh, after he was videotaped with his pint of wine, etc, etc, and so on. Uh, But Gareth Southgate has done very well with this team, of course, getting them to the semi-finals of the 2018 World Cup. Uh, something, uh, getting to that stage of the World Cup, only Alf Ramsey, Sir Alf Ramsey, and Sir Bobby Robson had done previously. I'll quickly rattle through the style uh of Southgate goes with. He loves himself a back 3. That was pretty central to the performance in 2018. He likes himself some wing backs. Uh 3-4-3 three, three is something he'll quite often do. Although we're seeing I think it's 10 defenders in this squad that he's picked, so maybe a 3-5-2 might make sense here. Uh we know I think a lot of people will know the drill with the, the way this England team's probably Going to look, maybe Foden Kane and Rashford up top. Uh, Mount and Rice in the middle, I'd expect. Uh, Maybe Trippier and Shaw as the wide players there. And I would expect um, Maguire, Stones and Walker in the back. And uh, I'll I'll talk about the goalkeeper position later because I think that's quite interesting. But that's a general overview of potential tournament favourites. England, I'm scared already. Scared and excited, I'll say, Taylor. Ryan, are you are you
2: expecting uh, you all call it a waistcoat? Correct. Yes. Yes. Are you expecting that for for Gareth Southgate? Has he changed up the look, or has he gone with what sort of worked at the last World Cup? I
1: believe it's already been reported that he is issuing the waistcoat. Ooh. Uh, he he will be sporting something different. I don't know. Maybe it's like Italian style puffer jacket. I'm excited to see what he goes with.
3: <laughs> did did he leave the waistcoat behind so he could fit another right back in his suitcase, or what? <laughs> Oh, there it goes. Yes, uh, as Joe
1: has has mentioned there, this uh, this team does have uh, an abundance of right-backs or players who can play right-back. I'll get to that later on in the podcast, Joe, but very good, very good indeed. All right. (laughs) Everybody settle down. Everybody settle down. We're in for a long one here. Um, Which team should we go to next? Should we go to Scotland? Why don't we do that? Graham Ruthven? tell me a little overview of uh, your tiny little island and their little football team yes uh, well not an island you know you're part of the same island we're on I, I, I phrase that wrong all the same I, it was meant to be an insult I need a, a suitable soundtrack here so just two seconds I'm just gonna <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's
4: right Ryan we are at our first major tournament for 23 years our first Premier since Later,
1: right? <laughs> did but you won't. miss
4: us? Scots we hey we Wallace bled. Scots when Bruce has aft and led. Welcome to your gory bed, or to victory. Now's the day and now's the hour. See the frontal battle lower. See approach proud. Edward's power chains and slavery. <sighs> oh, man. So yeah, that's, uh, that's uh, <laughs> some Scots. Scots we hae for you, Robert Bruce. Oh. It's not, not Robert Bruce, Robert Burns. <laughs> is that is that how the speech normally ends? So, yeah. yeah, anyway. Yeah. That, they were my whenvos, actually. That's how they ended. <laughs> 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 yes. Oh, man. So. Any
1: more information about Scotland?
2: <laughs> no, That I'm was, was insane. Graham, that was incredible. Well done. That was outstanding work by you. I also feel like you dialed up the Scottishness just a little bit for that one. Yeah, yeah, just a little
4: bit. I'm actually, <laughs> believe it or not, this is all a little bit of an act. I'm not that patriotic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway... Yes, we're qualified. we've qualified for our first major tournament in 23 years, our first since uh, France 98. Um, in terms of a nickname, this is a bit of a strange one. So in, in terms of like a second mention when I'm writing an article, I'll often call Scotland the dark blues. But Wikipedia says that our nickname is the Tartan Terriers, which I think is proof that you shouldn't believe everything you read on Wikipedia because I've never, ever heard that. In my life, maybe maybe the most common nickname is the Tartan Army, but the Tartan Army tends to refer to the the fans rather than actually the the team. But yes, we're we're we're, through, we're into this tournament through the the Nation League, Nations League. We had a a good uh, Nations League campaign where we we got into the playoffs. Um, we played Israel about a million times in the process of getting to the, this tournament. We've also got them in World Cup qualification, um, and actually a game against Israel was a bit of a pivotal one for Scotland because up until quite late in the qualification process it didn't seem to be going that well for Steve Clark in Scotland actually that we had Israel in the the semi-finals of the playoff and i remember reacting to we we went got through that game in in a penalty shootout much like the final victory against Serbia and at that point there was a, it, we didn't feel like we were on the verge of qualification so that's what i mean when i say it all happened very quickly um, I always envisaged that when Scotland qualified for a tournament, it would be a long slog, much like the Euro 2008 campaign, where we had France and Italy and Ukraine in our group, and we, we managed to beat all them and still still didn't qualify for, for Euro 2008. But yes, it, it, all, it all felt a bit a bit weird, especially because no fans could be at the game and people weren't allowed out to celebrate and the pubs were all closed. So it, it, it's been a bit of a strange one for Scotland qualifying for this tournament. Um, talking about the manager, Steve Clark a name that will be familiar to a lot of listeners, former assistant to Jose Mourinho, of course, who's managed Aston Villa and, and West Brom. He got the job on the back of a couple of incredible seasons with Komarnik. He, he, he went to Kilmarnock because that's where his family's from. And it, he, he took them up to third place, um, qualified for Europe, which for a club like Kilmarnock was incredible. And Kilmarnock actually have been relegated this season with pretty much the, the same squad of players. That tells you a, a lot about his quality as a coach. Um, Steve Clarke is quite conservative in nature both in terms of his, his the way he coaches a team but equally in, in terms of his demeanour as well you're not going to get many great quotes out of him this summer I'm afraid he's pretty dure doesn't smile all that much and in that sense he's a man after my own heart I would <laughs> say um, so yeah, style of play so much of Scotland's system is, is about fitting Robertson and Tierney into the one team it became a bit of a joke until we actually stumbled across a system that that works better than I ever expected, a system that had Robertson and Tierney in the same team to work. We tried Tierney at right back, we tried him at centre back. Robertson's pretty much stayed out on the on, on the left because he is the team captain. But we now play a, a back three with Kieran Tierney as the left sided centre back. Um, it's helped that he's played a lot there for Arsenal this season. Um, but it, it works really well. Robertson is the one who provides the, the width and they have a, a good relationship together and Tierney still has freedom to, to get forward. And what I'd say, even though we play a back three, this isn't a defensive team really from Scotland. Um, the back three is as much about getting forward as, as about keeping it tight at, at the back. So we've played Tierney on the left side and Scott McTominay on the right side of the fence as well. And both those players are about bringing the ball into, into the midfield. Um, and really, only kind of Grant Hanley or Liam Cooper being the one, the, the actual centre back in, in the system. So, when you see a back three, don't necessarily think about a, a defensive side. It's actually quite a quite a fluid side. But there is there is a good balance to this um, to the Scotland team. I think we're quite a young group. I think if this is our only major tournament with this group of players, it will be quite disappointing because I feel like this. All all the way through my adult lifetime, the the issue has simply been we don't have the players. And I don't think that's the case anymore. I think we've got a good core of of young, exciting players who are playing at good Premier League level. So I don't want this to be a one-off. I want us to be back at World Cups and Euros in in years to come. But um, maybe that's expecting a bit too much. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I mean, I want a million dollars too, but that ain't happening either, Graham. Ouch. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, What what I will say is you've got an abundance of left-backs, England. We've got an abundance of right-backs. Imagine if these two nations combined... So much fallback potential. Well, see, we're trying to
4: Scotland's trying to move away from that kind of combined nation thing, sort of. Ryan, that's kind of against the grain of the political zeitgeist, I would say.
1: That's fair. That's fair. Uh, thank you very much for the introduction to Scotland, Graham. Why don't we take it to Croatia and Mr. Taylor Rockwell?
2: Uh, Yes. First of all, as Graham pointed out, we should have probably said this in the Group A preview. With the nicknames, I think there's only like four or five teams in the world that actually use those nicknames. It seems like a lot of it is so people covering the teams have alternate ways to refer to them when doing match reports. Correct. With that said, Croatia are known as uh, Kokasti, the checkered ones, or more commonly Vatreni, the Blazers. It took me A very long time to realize that I was completely misunderstanding that nickname. It is not that they all wore fancy jackets. It's because they are the fiery ones. They have a fiery disposition, a fiery temperament, so they are the Blazers. Uh, They do have a bit of a fight to them, but they've also got a lot of skill, which is how they got here. Uh, They topped their qualifying group uh, with... I'm going to say relative ease, three points ahead of Wales, four points ahead of Slovakia. Uh, But they did start fairly slow in qualifying. Uh, But then they had performances like a seven to one aggregate scoreline over Slovakia so they can score some goals. Uh, And the person in charge of the goal scoring would be manager Vlatko Dalic, who took over in 2017 took them to the final of the world cup in 2018 uh, and then has had mixed results since then Uh, they shipped goals in the nation's league. They got three points from six games. Uh, I think they conceded two or more goals in five of those six games. So defensively, not as strong, but at the same time has seen a decent amount of turnover. He handled the retirement of Mario Mandzukic, Daniel Subasic, and Ivan Rakitic. He brought in young players like Bruno Petkovic, Josep Brekalo, and Nikola Vlasic. We'll talk about Vlasic in particular later on. And for that work, he's been given a contract extension through 2022. So we'll be there for this competition and has the experience from uh, the last world cup in terms of how they're likely to play i keep seeing it listed as a 4-2-3-1 with luka modric deep alongside another holding midfielder I kind of don't believe that that's what it will be, even though that's what I keep seeing reported, because a lot of those lineups do not include Marcelo Brozovic, who is such an important player for Croatia, has been, and I think will continue to be, even though he's in his 30s now, I believe. Uh, But I have him sort of sitting deep with Mateo Kovacic ahead of him and Luka Modric as part of a three-man midfield. So I see them playing a 4-3-3, capable of sitting deep and countering, but also capable of taking the game to opponents, possessing and certainly scoring some goals.
1: Oh, boy. Just l- hearing that description, Taylor, I'm reminded that this Group D, f- from an England perspective, has the team yep. who knocked us out of the World Cup. It has yep. the only team we lost to in qualifying, and it has yep. the old enemy where anything could happen. So uh, yep. I'm slightly nervous about that. but um, I think that's it- fair. <laughs> yeah. uh, as, is, as is the uh, disposition of the typical England fan going into a tournament. Um, Joseph Lowry, the Czech
3: Republic. Uh,
1: some notes on those, please.
3: Nickname on on is Lokomotiva, which I'm going to leave it up to all of you fine gentlemen to figure out what that means. In English, it means the locomotive. Um, they've got that engine, folks. They finished second in Group A, six points behind England, <laughs> ahead of Kosovo, Bulgaria, and Montenegro in Euro qualifying. So that's that's how they got here. They're not necessarily a ringer in terms of the talent they have, But they do have some talented players, and we'll talk more about that later on. But Patrick Schick, uh, Leverkusen striker, Vladimir Kufal, starting right back for West Ham this season, and then a host of others. They're coached by Jaroslav Shilhavi, who took the job back in September of 2018. Before that, he played and coached domestically in the Czech Republic. Stylistically? They play like a lot of other national teams that we've talked about do. And what I mean by that is they tend to control the ball against smaller teams, so they might have a talent advantage and take a more defensive approach against bigger teams. So back in March, they control possession against Wales and Estonia, but then defended for a whole bunch of the game against Belgium. So in this group, I can see them taking maybe more of a defensive posture against England and Croatia and attacking a bit more against Scotland, although Scotland clearly do have some firepower there as well. When they do have the ball, it's typically in some sort of a 4-2-3-1 alignment, and they like to play direct. So even when they're controlling a bit more possession, they still don't really mess around a whole lot in their own half. They like to move the ball forward. They'll play over their double pivot a lot. They have Tomas Suchek, who plays for West Ham, as well as a starter for them this year, who is kind of their their main pivot. He'll drop deeper in that two-man midfield with the number 10 ahead of him, but they still sometimes just play over him or use him to play more direct. So they have this talent, but they're not typically one Ones to mess around a whole lot with the ball. They're not afraid to high press at all, even against teams like Belgium, who they drew with 1-1 recently in World Cup qualifying. They rank really highly in terms of uh, ball recoveries in the final third. They don't let their opponents breathe a whole lot. So they could be a nightmare matchup for just about every team in this group. They don't play the most attractive soccer, but they play some effective soccer. I'm no
1: less nervous after hearing that description <laughs> of uh, the Czech Republic, Joe. <laughs> Thank you very much for that. Mission accomplished. <laughs> Mission accomplished indeed. Thank you very much, gents, for those overviews. We're going to go round the horn with a bit more on each of these teams after these short messages.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right.
1: total soccer show we have returned we are talking euro 2020 group d it's england croatia scotland and the czech republic i'm going to get into a bit more england chat now uh moving on to the key players heard of a guy called harry kane golden boot 2018 world cup yeah Yeah, he used to be good right he, mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, He, he's, uh, he's probably arguably one of the key players of the tournament, certainly will be for England. His fitness, whether he is able to do the full 90 in all of these games, is the big looming question for England, I would suggest. If you had to look at another, maybe a key player for England, I would say maybe someone like Harry Maguire, who certainly seems to be a favourite for Gareth Southgate, who can play or does tend to play on the left of a back three Always seems to be a big threat on set pieces. Maybe you could even say a key player, if we're looking a bit more in the form of the last few months, is Mason Mount, a new central midfield hero that England potentially have. Um, But certainly what is key to this England team, as was hinted at earlier, is the abundance of right-backs. We've got Trent Alexander-Arnold, we've got Kyle Walker, we've got Kieran Trippier, and we've got Rhys James. Aaron wan did not make this squad But uh, there is method to the madness if you look at it. Someone like James and Walker could play in the back three where there's not an awful lot of cover. Otherwise, if they weren't to to drop back, I think you've got Tyrone Mings and Connor Cody who would uh, fall into those spots. If not, uh, so there's there's there's, a, there's an instance where all of these players could play in a 3-4-3 uh, or, or a 3-5-2. And what's amusing, I saw this on Twitter the other day, Jamie Carragher saying that no one wants to be, grow up to be Gary Neville very famously. And Gary Neville saying, hey, look at all these right backs. I guess they all did. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> that's an interesting one there. And the tricky one here, gents, is looking at a breakout player for England because this squad of players we are all pretty familiar with as, um, as regularly, uh, relatively seasoned soccer fans. So if you're going to see a player who might get minutes, maybe it's someone like Jude Bellingham of Bruce Dortmund. Maybe it's someone like Calvin Phillips if he gets on the field. I'm inclined to say it won't be someone like Jack Grealish, he being the kind of maverick player that England tend to uh, ignore. So for my breakout player, I'm going to go for Dean Henderson. The goalkeeper. Hmm. It feels like this might be his real chance to break out in the England slot. He can certainly emerge as the Old Trafford number one if he does well this summer. Taylor, I'll get your view on that as well. And bear in mind, this is England at a major tournament. There will be a penalty shootout at some point. So Dean Henderson has the chance to be very much the focal point of that. Uh, he can be the Man United goalkeeper that does save penalties. So um, <laughs> that's, that's my thoughts on that. Taylor, any thoughts on Henderson as a, as a breakout potentially?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I think that is a solid shout, especially because goalkeepers we know c- can play very much into their mid to late 30s, uh, and Henderson only being 24 gives him plenty of time to do just that. But I think to your point, Ryan, there was much made of Man United's penalty shootout loss in the Europa League final that David De Gea has not saved, I think, any of the last like 26 attempts, and that number has probably increased now since there were 11 in that Europa League final. Dean Henderson, by contrast, I think, has saved a surprising number. Like, I want to say it was like 40% of his last 10 opportunities or something like that, which I guess would be 4 of 10. But either way, I think you're not wrong that he is a reliable uh, person when it comes to penalties. And I think looking at his competition, I would say, yeah, you probably do want him, at least in my opinion, he seems like he would be the most stable option there.
1: Yeah, I think so. And, and there's there's lots of discussions to be had about this England squad about who's gonna who's gonna play well, there where we know roughly the shape. We know probably it's gonna be a 3-4-3 three, three in most instances. But then you look at the right back spot. Is it gonna be Trent? Is it gonna be Reese James earning his way? Is it gonna be Kieran Trippier? And even though you know he, he won a league title this year, maybe may there's a perception that players who play abroad play outside of England are a little overlooked in some circumstances. Then you look at the other flank where Luke Shaw has done pretty well previously, but Ben Chilwell might be might be coming in in that spot and uh, in the supporting roles to Harry Kane you've got Raheem Sterling, Marcus Rashford, uh, uh, Phil Foden, Jadon Sancho. There's 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 a lot of uh, there's a spoil for choice in in many ways is this England squad. It is. A stacked squad. Uh, I'm probably too biased to have an opinion on how stacked it is, to be honest, gents. But um, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what kind of selections Gareth Southgate makes, because we know roughly his his style and his shape. But the personnel who actually make it on the field is another is another question.
4: Ryan, would you have rather one of the the right back spots have gone to someone else that was in the the 33 man provisional squad? or, Or are you with Southgate on that one?
1: No, I think I'm happy with the selections. Would it be like, what, one Bissaka or someone like that? Well, you? no, I'm
4: thinking more, would you have swapped out one of those right backs for a, for like a Ward-Prowse in midfield oh. or for some, like another forward or, or something like that?
1: No, I don't, I don't necessarily think that's the case because as I say, there, a lot of those players who can play in different positions and they can play in the back three as well. So I I, I kind of agree with the choices that have been made. I don't think that the team is particularly thin in any uh, areas at all actually when i was, was going to say maybe in the in the back three but then as i say there's a few of those right backs reese james can slot back there carl walker can play in a back three so there i'm i'm not too uh, yeah i think it's fine it's, it's my answer to your question there graham uh, would Ryan, you disagree to add, to add a, a fun wrinkle into you uh, well sorry
2: go ahead graham and then i'll uh, add my wrinkle
4: no no I, i'd finish with my thought on you go
2: um they're playing in a 4-3-3 it seems against austria today so i guess Gareth southgate wants to see what that looks like but then also maybe have the ability to experiment and i think you're probably right ryan that we will normally see them in a back three maybe he wanted to see something different but that's why i felt like the right back thing was a little bit overblown because i kind of assumed kyle walker would be the right center back and then you have
1: two options at right back and the numbers kind of make sense that's very interesting. And by the time this podcast comes out, people will know the result of that England yeah. friendly that is uh, happening uh, moments away as we record. So I, uh, I I'll uh, uh, maybe need to update this <laughs> section somewhat <laughs> in, in the near future, but we shall see. Uh, unless there's any more questions on England, shall we move on to the, um, Scotland's I, key players? I have one more question for you, Ryan. Go ahead. Uh, as you mentioned, there is a ton of
2: talent with this team. Are there any, like not necessarily like one specific player, but are there things that would make you nervous that you don't necessarily want to see if... If he's like doing a a pep and we see raheem sterling starting as your holding midfielder like i'm i'm assuming that won't make you thrilled but are there certain (laughs) combinations you think don't work as well or are there certain players that you think maybe aren't in the best of form right now
1: yeah i think i i think um gareth southgate doesn't think as far out of the box that pep does in certain times so i don't think we'll see anything too wild i mean informed players I want to see Phil Foden I want to see Phil Foden get a start certainly and I'd rather see him it's probably not going to be an either or for Raheem Sterling but you know Foden and Rashford I think would be pretty good supporting Kane for example and yeah I, I don't know there's, there's lots of decisions to be made here I suppose one thing that would make me nervous Taylor is if we see something we've seen at tournaments before with Harry Kane if we see him at the 60 minute mark absolutely out of puff but still being kept on the field mm-hmm. when you've got a fresh faced Dominic Calvin Lewin on the bench raring to go or even if you could move Rashford or move someone else or even Raheem Sterling into that um, central striking role that's what makes me nervous because we have seen that before with Harry Kane being kept on the field longer than is appropriate at times I would say that makes sense to me yeah All right. Graham Rutherford Scotland key players breakouts let's hear them Yep, sure. So I think
4: most eyes would immediately be drawn to Andy Robertson. First, obviously, a a Champions League winner, has been an established member of a, a brilliant Liverpool team for a number of years now. However, what I would say about Robertson is while he while he hasn't played badly for Scotland, he he hasn't been able to replicate his his Liverpool form for Scotland, and that's not just a, a small sample size either. That that's over a number of years. I'd have to say he's he's not quite as good for Scotland as a, for as for Liverpool. And I know what you're thinking. Obviously, the the quality of the teammates around him are, are not as high as for his, for his club. However. To the contrary, I would point to Kieran Tierney, um, who has somehow managed to translate his Arsenal form and, into the national team. And I actually think I would I would have him as Scotland's most important player at the moment. Consistently plays well for Scotland, offers a slightly different dimension through the middle. Um, he does charge down the left side with Robertson, but it's really common to see him pick up the ball and... Um, and as I say, drive through the middle, and that opens up a little bit of space. He's a brilliant dribbler, Kieran Tierney, and and so that's something that comes naturally to him. So I think Tierney is going to be a really important player when he was when he was injured um, a few a few weeks ago for Arsenal. That was that was a real kind of heart stopping moment. Um, sorry, I'm slightly distracted because Scotland have just scored against the Netherlands. So half we're going to win the whole thing. We're <laughs> winning up. Um, so another oh, player I would pick oh, out. Man. Oh, Frank de Boer. Oh, <laughs> Frank de Boer. Uh, yeah, so and it's also a terrible, a terrible position. They've lost the ball in the back and given it straight to Scotland. So anyway, off on a tangent there slightly. But another player that I would pick out, who's maybe not for people who maybe don't watch Scotland, might not be that obvious, but is actually Lyndon Dyke. Sorry, Lyndon Dykes. Um, for years, Scotland struggled for strikers really, really badly. Struggled for squ- uh, for strikers. Lyndon Dykes had been really good for Livingston in the Scottish Premiership. And a lot of people, and I was one of them, doubted that he would be good enough for international football. But the fact that we were scraping around a little bit there tells you how desperate we were for just a, a, a natural frontman. So he's actually Australian-born um, and through the grandparent rule decided to play for Scotland. And there are just some players in international football, when they when they go into international football, they, they thrive. There's something about the... The, 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 there's something about all eyes of the country being on them it just suits them and and, and Lyndon Dykes is, is one of them and he's he's a contrast to Scotland have had good players in the past but they've, they've sort of buckled a little bit under the pressure he is the opposite he's maybe slightly modest in his skill set but he always plays really well for Scotland and he elevated this team maybe one or two levels as soon as he came in as soon as he came into the side, Scotland started winning games and qualified for a major tournament. So he's a bit, he's a bit of a, a talisman. He doesn't score as many goals as you'd maybe want for a centre forward, but he's brilliant at bringing others into the game. So he's another one I would pick out as a key player. And my third key player would be uh, John McGinn, who is the man with the biggest backside in world football. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's much more attacking for Scotland than he is for Aston Villa. I think they play him as quite a, a deep-lying central midfielder. He plays sometimes almost as a forward for Scotland. He's that far up. He he's been Scotland's top goal scorer under Clark. He's on a on a sensational scoring run, um, and he, when we need a goal, he tends to be the one who delivers it. So if if we're going to have a good tournament, I think we really need to him to be scoring a couple, uh, two or three goals um, over the course of the tournament. So that's my three key players for for a potential breakout star. I would maybe point to at least two of the three uncapped players that have been called up for the squad. So the the three uncapped players are Billy Gilmore, David Turnbull, Nathan, Nathan Patterson. So I would maybe say say Billy Gilmore is a little bit well, too well known to be a a breakout player. Obviously he's, he's playing for Chelsea and not a first team player, but still getting quite a bit of game time for Chelsea. He's probably the most naturally gifted Scottish player of my lifetime. We don't tend to, or certainly in the modern era, we don't tend to produce players as, naturally adept in the ball is him but he's fantastic but David Turnbull who if you follow the Scottish Premiership you'll already know about David Turnbull who's one of the players of the season however I have heard whispers out there that not everyone watches the Scottish Premiership so uh, I'll tell you a little bit about him 21 year old 8 goals and 6 assists for, for Celtic you're going to hear about this guy he's he's going to be in the Premier League soon enough um, he, already, he already feels like he's too good for the Scottish Premiership and he's only played one season at Celtic they'll get 20 million pounds for him easily the other one is uh, Nathan Patterson. He's only played a handful of games for Rangers um, and he's in this squad. Now that says a lot about his talent. is natural that talent, but also how short of right back options Scotland are in stark contrast to our left side and also England's squad. Can we please borrow one of those uh one of those right backs? Um but he's here because he's got, he, he's in the he's in the in, at Euro 2020 because he's going to be in the Scotland squad for years and years to come. Um, barring injury or anything like that. And so we might as well integrate him into the squad as quickly as we can. And actually, it wouldn't surprise me if he plays his way into the first team because Stephen O'Donnell on the right side plays for Motherwell, def- decent enough international player. But I think Nathan Patterson has a much higher ceiling. So it wouldn't surprise me if he actually gets quite a bit of game time.
1: The only thing I want to call up there, Graham, is John McGinn having the biggest backside. Surely the Brazilian Hulk um, take, mm-hmm. takes him for a run for his money there. It's between Hulk John McGinn and Eden Hazard. I think that's oh, the yes. biggest backside World Cup. Uh, the
4: backside triumvirate there. Very yeah. good. <laughs> and Graham,
2: if people are interested in following Scotland, maybe they want to root against England, uh, maybe they want to choose Scotland. I think everybody's got a little bit of Scottish ancestry in there at some point. Uh, that's what I'm choosing to believe, at least. Uh, like, What what would you say is the selling point for rooting for Scotland in this? Like, Aside from the underdog narrative, like, what will people be looking for? What should they keep an eye on when Scotland are playing?
4: Yeah so one of the things that we we've actually um there's been a lot of marketing talk around the Scottish Premiership uh, about what I'm going to say but we we're, we're trying to sell ourselves as kind of we're a country that produces tomorrow's stars and a few years ago that would have been quite laughable um with Scotland but we've got a good track record of giving a, a platform to to young players i mean Virgil van Dijk who we we're obviously talking about and I know he's not Scottish obviously but came came through you know uh, Celtic and and John McGinn and Scott McTominay and so I think there's some young players I mentioned them kind of there Billy Gilmore and uh, and um, like even Ryan Christie I think we'll probably see him in the Premier League quite soon Stuart Armstrong is one another one backs up my point someone who came from Scotland to the Premier League and is now a, a good player so Nathan Patterson mentioned him um, there's a number of players who Scott McKenna who's gone to Nottingham Forest wouldn't surprise me if we see him in the Premier League Ke- Kevin Nisbet has had an excellent season for Hibbs And I think he's been linked with a number of 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 big English clubs. Mm. So basically, this could be for for even if you're looking beyond the established Premier League players, the guys who are in this squad who are either playing at Championship or Scottish Premiership level, I think you're gonna you're gonna hear about in the years to come. All right, Taylor, Croatia. Mm
2: -hmm. Key players. Uh, Yeah, they have have some players you're going to hear about for years to come. They have some players you have been hearing about for years to come because they have lots of very good players, like kind of across the board. Uh, They... Could start Dejan Lovren uh, at center back. Maybe he's not the best place to start, but mm-hmm. more likely is that we'll have uh, Domagoy Vida, the blonde hair pulled back, shave, shave sides. If you've forgotten what he looks like, always fun. Stronger. Uh, but Duje chalet will be most likely his center back partner, uh, a very strong defender who will very likely get a a big move at some point in the near future, but for right now playing for Marseille and has been since twenty eighteen. But you've got strong central defender options. You've got Simi Versalco as your right back uh, of Atletico Madrid. And then on the left side will likely be Borna Barisic, who I think Graham is probably more uh capable of talking about than I.
4: Yeah, Bor- Borna Barisic, um in terms of how he played for Rangers this season was one of their one of their key players along with uh, maybe two or three others. He was in the he was in the discussion for Player of the Year in Scotland, that's how good he was for Rangers. He's got a, a magnificent left foot, brilliant delivery, one, probably the best in, in the league. He can hit a mean set piece. And so I think if Croatia use that well, he, he'll be a really good outlet on that left side for them with with his deliveries into the box. And then uh, also on the left side
2: at left wing will likely be Ivan Perisic, maybe Ante Rebic, uh, depending on who starts. But either way, you've got a lot of attacking talent there on that left-hand side to combine with Perisic to make something happen. Centrally, the most important player I really do think for Croatia, now watch him not play at all, is Marcelo Brozovic. Because... He looks like he should be gassed by the 60th minute a la Harry Kane, but he kind of never stops moving, and he is the glue that holds that midfield down. If they do go with a 4-1-4-1, he is the one who can kind of patrol that middle Put out fires, not let anything get out of hand, make sure he continues to conduct traffic. And I think he's just such an important player for them. So uh, for what he does defensively and then sometimes uh, attacking, especially with his sort of long direct passes into the channels. uh, Very important. Mateo Kovacic ahead of him of Chelsea fame, likely to get some minutes. Luka Modric certainly going to get minutes and will be Mm -hmm. the kind of player that everybody is focused on. The breakout player, because I think Luka Modric will get so much attention, I would say is Nikola Vlasic, who is a 23-year-old, usually central attacking midfielder for Croatia because of the depth they have in midfield. You might see him playing out wide on the right. You might see him partnering Luka Modric if they're trying to be a bit more aggressive in their attack. Uh, But Vlasic, uh, as I said, 23 years old, 11 goals and 5 assists this past season for Siska Moscow, but a very competent capable player on the ball who will take people on can score goals from outside the box i think three or four of those 11 goals were from distance so is also a very accurate shooter and can play a good cross of his own and then up top uh a couple different options it was in qualifying bruno petkovic he was their top goal scorer but i think more likely is that we'll get andre kremaric starting maybe ante budimir but all of them have scored goals for croatia multiple goals for croatia So I think, again, what we're looking at with this team is just a lot of depth across the board. Even if you do lose the center back, you've got experience coming in. If you lose one of those midfielders, there are plenty more who could play there, like Mario Pasalic of Atalanta, Milan Badel, another one who tends to deputize and do well. So just a ton of quality, and then youngsters to back it all up. The one I would spotlight would be uh, Jasko Gradiol. I don't know if I've pronounced that properly because he's got a V where there should be a U. It should be Guardiol, but instead it's Guardiol. Uh He's a center back. He will be moving to Leipzig. That move was agreed. I think last season he played one more year with Dinamo Zagreb. Then he makes that jump. He's listed as TBD in the squad, which is slightly disconcerting. But I think uh, if he is there, will be a depth option. will maybe get some minutes. But is definitely a youngster to keep an eye on because Leipzig are getting rid of all their center backs. So I would expect him to get a lot of minutes next season. But you can see him before he does uh, in this tournament.
1: And typically, a tale: Marian Mandzukic isn't being uh, unpacked and brought out of retirement for one last ride for this one. Sadly not, sadly not. No, no Mario Mandzukic, no Ivan Rakitic. That was the other one I thought we might see come out of retirement, but
2: uh, thus far, no, as the squads have been named. More on another player who is not there later on when we get to our sort of interesting uh, facts. Intriguing. Mm -hmm. For
1: now,
3: Joseph Lowry, uh, Czech Republic players, please. Key players for the Czech Republic, I want to start up top and I'll, I'll kind of work my way back, but I'm going to stick mostly in the attacking area, starting with Patrick Schick. I mentioned him before. He's a 25-year-old striker, six one. He's very good at winning aerial duels, which is important back when I was talking about how the Czech Republic liked to play. They don't mess around a lot with the ball, and so having an outlet as that number 9 at the top of your 4-2-3-1 is pretty important. So he'll start up top for them, most likely scored 12 goals in about 2,200 minutes between the Bundesliga and the Europa League this year for Leverkusen. That's not great return, but it's not bad, right? He's he's a pretty well-established player, and he will have the goal-scoring responsibility for the Czech Republic in this tournament. A player who's who's really integral with how the Czech Republic attack alongside Patrick Schick, not as another striker, but playing on the left and then coming inside is Jakub Jankto. He's 25 years old. He plays for Sampdoria in Serie A. He played about 2,400 minutes, scored six goals, three assists. Again, not, not mind-blowing attacking production. But when I was going back through to watch all this footage of the Czech Republic, to see how they play. I notice this pattern, and it involves Yangtou, and it involves Shik. Shik will sometimes drop in, even though he's not this link-up striker all the time. He will come between the lines a little bit and drop down and vacate that number 9 spot. And when he drops to, to combine with a number 10 or whatever it is, then Yangtou will come inside. He's not this inverted winger on that left side, but he likes to come inside on his left foot or just simply drift into that number 9 space. So they'll have this little rotation of Shik dropping, Yangtou coming inside and taking up that space, maybe running in behind And the Czech Republic have had a lot of quality chances come from that simple rotation in recent games. So with with Yangto on the left wing, again, 25 years old for Sampdoria, that's a player I'm watching. And then kind of finishing out this attack in terms of least players I wanted to highlight for this show, Antonin Barak, who's their central attacking midfielder, another guy who plays in Serie A. He plays for Verona. 26 years old. He's left-footed. He's more of a connector than he is a through-ball threader, which, again, fits in this overarching style. Czech Republic aren't going to come out here and blow your mind with this intricate man city esque possession play, but they have a lot of effective players in possession. And Barack is certainly one of those guys. He'll drop a little deeper to get the ball and sometimes play point guard in transition, then higher up the field. He can string some passes together and make things happen. So they have certainly other promising players, but those are three guys that I'm going to key on in the attack for them. And then my, my breakout player is another attacker. I, I wasn't trying to be so attack biased. That just kind of happened. Uh, it's Adam Hlozik, who's 18 years old. He's the youngest player on their roster. He can he can play anywhere along the front line, but he typically plays as a nine, and he could be a backup option, a late-game sub for Schick in this tournament. Hlozek is right-footed, moves really well in the box. Good vision, good runs, hard runs into space. He can manipulate defenders. He has some technical quality to beat players on the dribble as well. He's already made 72 senior appearances for Sparta Prague in the Czech Republic. He's only 18. And he's already done that. He's already made that many appearances. He scored 15 and had seven assists in the Czech League this year as an 18-year-old. And last year, he was a regular starter for them as a 17-year-old as well. He's already linked to teams like Liverpool uh, and and other big clubs across Europe. He's not going to be in the Czech Republic Domestic League for much longer. Uh, This will be an opportunity for him to get his third cap if he gets an appearance in this tournament with the national team. I'll be shocked, again, if he starts in the group stage, but he could be a guy to watch off the bench. Wow. He sounds
1: as precocious as your good self, Joe. Very interesting.
3: (laughs) Thank you for that. Um, We're going to be back after
1: these short messages uh, with more on Group D, and we're going to settle once and for all who's going to win out
0: of the England and Scotland game. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear,
1: Total Soccer Show, we are back. We're talking Euro 2020, Group D. I don't know about you, Graham, but the one game I am got my eye on in this group is happening on Friday, June 18th, England against Scotland at Wembley Stadium. Uh, this one happening in the afternoon Eastern time, so uh, make sure you uh, clock off work early for that one. Um, Graham, how confident are you going into that game? Because... Uh, certainly in the recent head-to-head, England have had the better of it. But I'm not saying that the three Lions aren't fallible in this one. And that was a few double negatives, which I know Taylor loves. <laughs> so the, the way I'm looking at it, right? So I think England are probably
4: second favourites for this whole tournament. Um, I, I don't think I can deny that with the, the strength of the the squad that, that, that you guys have at the moment. However, having said that, I still don't think England are going to go all the way through the tournament and just... Dominate every team they play and not have any slip ups. Mm. And so I'm aiming for Scotland to be that slip up, whether that's a draw or a a narrow win. And you know what? I I don't think we're going to get embarrassed. I I think we're going to hold our own. I saw a a Scottish um, Sun, or it's not a Scottish Sun, a Sun article um, with the headline, uh, which was um, Ochai the Who. For, which was in reference to what they said was a lack of household names in this in the Scotland squad, which I thought was harsh, given that we probably have our most known squad for years. And so I think we can take something at, at Wembley. Obviously, it's going to take a little bit of luck um, and maybe Kane not having a good day, but
1: I'm fairly confident. Yeah, I'm fairly scared. I, I, I always, I, <laughs> I did pin uh, Croatia down as the team will drop points to and maybe finish second in the group. But now, now you've got me thinking it could be Scotland. And as I say, we lost the Czech Republic uh, in 2019. So I'm a little concerned about that one, too. Uh, Graham, in terms of Scotland and whether they're better off this summer or if this t- tournament had taken place last summer, thoughts on that?
4: Uh, well, definitely better because Scotland didn't qualify for this tournament until November 2020. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, but gen- genuinely a lot better. Um, Scotland didn't have, I mean, obviously we're talking very hypothetically and, and the schedule had been shifted back a year. But um, yes, yeah, Scotland didn't have Che Adams. I should probably mention him as well. he mm. uh, um, He's decided to play for Scotland very recently. So we didn't have Adams. We didn't have Dykes. So we didn't really have an attack. Lee Griffiths probably would have played up front, and Lee Griffiths, who has been a good player for Scotland over the years, is is really faded now as a bit of an attacking force. So having that attack is massive. Tierney hadn't bedded in at Arsenal yet. I, I think McTominay's had a really good season this season, and, and so he's he's got much more of a stature now. And then the three uncapped players that I mentioned, you know, Turnbull, Gilmore, and, and Patterson, who I think there's a chance, maybe not Turnbull, just because they've got so many options in midfield, but I think Gilmore and Patterson will... Play a part in this squad, so we wouldn't have had them either. So I think mm. I think we're in a much better place this uh, with the the year postponement. To be honest,
1: yeah, I, th- I think I'm I'm inclined to agree in terms of England as well, being slightly better off with it being in 21. I know it's another year on for Harry Kane and uh, a lot of these players have had another grueling and odd Premier League season, but. Players like Phil Foden, who I really hope does good things at this tournament, I think he's more primed to face it this summer. And uh, even like the Chelsea wide players, Chilwell and, and, and James, I could see them having a better time of it this summer. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not saying that's a hundred percent correct answer, but I'm more inclined to say that um, England are in a good spot doing it this summer as well. Um, Taylor, how about how about Croatia?
2: I would say they're they're in roughly the exact same position they would have been if this had been held a year ago. There are a few different outliers to that, a few different things, like maybe uh, Gavardial, the player I mentioned earlier, being only 19 right now at time of recording. I doubt he makes the team last time. Then again, I don't know how much he's going to play this time. I think maybe you can make an argument that you've got some older players who maybe have a little bit less mileage on their legs at that point, Mm. but for the most part, it's Luka Modric is going to be Luka Modric and be very, very good. Uh, Chalet Saad is only 24 years old, I think, can handle the rigors of an international competition. Mateo Kovacic has had a decent time with Chelsea both this season and last season. I would say winning the Champions League maybe pushes him to that next level. But I think overall, it, it's roughly the same team you would have gotten. So I'm going to say they're, like, they're kind of in the exact same position they would have been.
1: All right. And Joe, when it comes to the Czechs, I I would suggest maybe uh, Sufau and Suchek have had a pretty good season. Does that
3: make the Czech Republic more primed to have a better time of it this summer than they would have last? I don't think so. I'm with Taylor in my answer. I'm not sure there's a big difference between 2020 and 2021. I'm not sure. I mean, players like Suchek, for example. Yeah, he's with West Ham and he had been the year before, but he's able to establish himself more this past season. They're still the same player, right? Like they do gain experience, they do gain knowledge and probably improve slightly. But just because you're playing in in the Czech First Division doesn't necessarily mean you're a worse player than you are playing for West Ham, right? That's just kind of how we perceive different players. So either way, the core of this team from last year to this year would have remained roughly the same. I don't think there's a massive difference for the Czech Republic from 2020 to 2021.
1: All right. Um, I'm
3: going to go around
1: the hall now and get um, the stats that tell the story of your teams, gents. And also, if you have one, a weird or fun related fact about your team. I'll go first with both. Uh, the number I'm going to give you is the number one that is where a lot of uh, people are ranking this England team in terms of where they'll finish And know said to number two and I think that's perfectly fair as well but it just seems so bizarre to me that yes this is a stacked England team but over France over Belgium even over Germany who may not be at the, the peak of their powers but teams with actual experience of doing well in tournaments recently it, it kind of spooks me that England are, are placed above them it's like Man City being the favourites in the Champions League for at least the last three years and we know how that turned out uh my fun fact for you is that england invented this game and everyone else must be very grateful for it graham over to you <laughs> that is disputed
4: my friend actually it's <laughs> by uh, the scots you might not uh, be too surprised to hear we dispute oh, that I know. um so my my stat that tells the, the story of this team in this tournament is, is is well the number is two that's the number of games that uh, scotland have lost in their last 14 games in all competitions and both of those defeats came in the days after the playoff win over Serbia, when the team was still drunk. Uh, and I'm not even sure if I'm joking there. <laughs> Such were the celebrations in, in the hotel. So this this is a difficult team to to break down. Um, could do with actually winning a few more games rather than drawing. I think there's there's a, a, a few too many draws. In there, but not knowing how to, to how to lose could be a, a useful thing in, in, in a major tournament. And I actually think Scotland will go through as one of the best placed third third uh, place teams. Czech Republic. I know I'm going slightly off on a tangent here, but the Czech Republic Scotland have beaten twice in the in in the last year. So I think a win over them in the first game will set us up quite nicely. Then a free hit at England, and then Croatia at home to end it. I think that's I, I couldn't have picked a better schedule to be honest um, for the games. So, yeah, I think the fact that Scotland don't lose many will, will, will uh, stand us in good stead. And our weird related fact, I've got two. So Scotland is home to the only soccer stadium in Europe with a hedge around the pitches perimeter. So instead of a, that's Brecon City, Glebe Park, I've been there many times. They have wonderful soup at halftime is another thing to know about that stadium. But yes, instead of a stand on one side, it's it's a hedge, and yes, the ball gets stuck in the hedge a, a, a lot of times. <laughs>
1: You've buried uh, the lead. What flavour is the soup, Graham?
4: Oh, they, they vary it, but the the lentils the best one. Uh, Sterling Albion tend to be in a, in similar leagues to, to Brecon, and I've done many away days at Brecon. The soup is <laughs> magnificent, They're magnificent. And um, second fact would be Scotland qualified for the for its first World Cup in 1954. And only took 13 players to Switzerland for a tournament that allowed squads of 22, which was a lot of confidence for a team that lost both games it played at that tournament. (laughs) So I'm thankful that this time we've got more than 13 players. Well, I'm hoping hubris this... strikes you once again, Graham, if you don't mind me saying, <laughs> in this, this summer.
2: This uh, this past season, we saw at least in the Premier League, we saw a lot of games where the 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 big exciting games ended up being nil nil and fairly dull. Scotland England feels like it could be a game with with at least a few goals, but a lot of like feisty challenges, maybe a few yeah. cards. But it also feels like it could be a sort of game that has a lot of hype and then is sort of dull, especially because it's early on in this one. What do you all think could happen? What do you think is the most likely scenario? Is it going to be, not even necessarily who wins, but more so, is it going to be a feisty foul affair or is it going to be a little bit calmer?
4: Yeah, I, th- I think, it, and I don't even mean this from a sort of fighting talk sort of way, but I, I think Scotland will make it that sort of game. Mm-hmm. Um it's it's look it's a little bit of a one-sided rivalry isn't it um England are obviously the 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 big dogs in the rivalry and they might look at you know Germany or something like that as their biggest rivalry but we we will we will make it like that we we will our our players will definitely be up for it and actually I think back to a a friendly that Scotland played against England at Wembley maybe five six years ago where Scotland still lost 3-2 but Scotland took the the lead in that game twice and and I, I, it was just a, a really good spectacle a lot of fight from Scotland so I, I kind of expect that sort a, a game like that I think
1: yeah, I, I concur with Graham there as well. And I don't think, if you look back at the head-to-heads, there's been too many nil-nils between these two tea teams, certainly in recent years. So I think yeah. we're certainly going to see some, some goal-mouth action. And I wouldn't be surprised if both teams certainly got on the on the score sheet of this one. And this being at Wembley Stadium, where I think, that, I don't know how many fans, but there's going to be fans there. And that will change the dynamic a little bit as well. So um, this one, yeah, definitely is double-ringed on my calendar, Taylor. I like it. I like
2: it. I also like Graham's uh, point about Scotland and the goals they score. I mean this sincerely because hearing him talk about that, I had Scotland's squad in front of me. And there haven't been a ton of goals scored by that team. And I was going to ask about that until I realized that is kind of par for the course for a lot of teams in this competition and I'm bringing this back to Croatia for a moment to say that if you go through and look at the squads there are only a few teams that have three or more players who have scored 10 or more goals for their national team Hmm. like the list is way smaller than you would expect Uh, Croatia do have three players who have scored 10 or more goals and I spotlight that just to say that I think having players that you know can score goals at the highest level in major competitions, it does give you a leg up. It probably does give you that confidence. And so uh, for Croatia, Ivan Perisic, Andrej Kremeric, and Luka Modric, obviously are players who can uh, do that and score those goals. The other interesting thing I wanted to spotlight would be two players actually, who will not be there. The first one would be Andre Kudela uh, got the 10 match ban for racially abusing Glenn Kamara. My dogs are barking about it because they did not like that. I didn't like it either, (laughs) nor did UEFA, which is why he's banned. Uh, He, He appealed that ban. It was upheld. So he will miss all of Euro 2020 slash 2021. And I'm okay with that. Another player who will miss all of the competition for very different reasons is a man by the name of Borna Sosa. He's a 23-year-old born in Zagreb. Uh, and pursued. He'd been playing for Croatia at pretty much every youth level, but I believe in this last year uh, decided he wanted to play for Germany, had been recruited by Yogi Lowe. They had fast-tracked his citizenship because his mother, I think, made him eligible to get German citizenship. He announced his intention to play for Germany at the Euros, and then Oliver Bierhoff came out, German technical director, came out and said... Yet the FIFA rules don't allow for that. You can never play for Germany, which is true, even though they've changed them. I think he was outside of that when the changes were made. So he will now have to play for Croatia. He has publicly apologized to the Croatian people, to the team, to his potential teammates. And I say potential because he is not in this squad, was not on the provisional roster. So maybe he will be down the road, but Borna Sosa will not be uh, there this summer. And any fun facts,
1: Taylor, from your team? <laughs> Go ahead, I guess what that. what
2: two two players missing for uh, varying degrees of sad reasons? Yeah, no, <laughs> I think those are my those are my fun facts. Aside from they score goals, so they're
3: fun on that regard. All right,
1: very good, Joe. How about you?
3: So my stat about the Czech Republic, it's not really a stat. It's just a number that I counted up on my own. This Czech Republic team has 10 players playing in Europe's top five leagues. They have one in La Liga, three in the Premier League, four in the Bundesliga, and two in Serie A. That's more than I expected when I sat down to learn about this team and to really dive into who they are and what they do. And that's not totally indicative, those 10 players of a team's talent level, but I think it does make it clear that this Czech Republic team has talent, and they're not going to lie down in this group, or at least I'm not expecting them to do so. My obscure soccer fact is also about a player who's not on the roster. Taylor and I were drinking the same Kool-Aid there. It's about Zdenik Andrasik, former FC Dallas legend. Uh, He did not make this squad, but he has one of the coolest nicknames in soccer, the Cobra. He has a giant, like really big Cobra tattoo on his back. What more could you ask? That makes it for less player. Cool. Okay, okay, all right. His name's the Cobra. Come on, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, but, like, did he give himself that nickname? Did he get the tattoo to then be like, call me Cobra? I did he get it in prison? I don't think so. This <laughs> isn't like a, an Ebra sort of situation, I don't think. Okay. I think I think Andrasic's right. a little bit more down to earth. And he's the Cobra, man. Don't hate on the Cobra. He's down <laughs> to earth,
4: but he's got a giant Cobra on his back. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Grant. did we you all, not get yours we all know i thought that, that was right?
4: an induction like i thought that's
2: what you had to do to to start appearing regularly on the total soccer show was get that full back piece of whatever you want it to be we'll, we'll schedule mine then for after the tournament yeah. yeah it has to be your national animal though so it's a unicorn on your back my friend
1: oh well I'm, I'm okay with
2: that then that's fine there we go i thought you might be i thought
1: you might be yeah that's why i've got three lines and one very tiny small line at the bottom <laughs> <laughs> uh, finally gents, this is on, <laughs> for this podcast um, I want to get your opinions on how this group is going to shake out and a bonus question do we have the winner of the tournament in this group or any of the groups we have previewed so far uh, yeah. I will answer the, fir- the second part of that question and say no, I don't think England are going to win this tournament because England. Uh, I don't think England are going to top this group either. I think Croatia will take points off us. Croatia will top England second. Where am I going to go, Graham? Where am I going to go? I'm going to say Scotland come in third and and the Czechs in fourth. Graham, how do you feel about that?
4: Yeah, I, I think I would I would go with that. I, I think Scotland will get... I don't know where we're going to get... I think we'll beat... Uh, no, not Croatia. We'll beat uh, Czech Republic. And I think we'll get a point against either Croatia as, or England. As much as I want it to be England, I think that home that Hamden game against Croatia maybe a point in that one. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think that England, Croatia, Scotland, Czech Republic. And I, I uh, do I dare be a Scot that's predicting
1: England going to win a major tournament?
4: Uh, no, I'm not. No, I, I think uh, France will win this tournament. So no, we haven't previewed France yet.
1: Okay, and I will say, by the way, I didn't answer that part of the question. I have a funny feeling that Belgium might do it this time. So uh, I think we may have already spoken about the winner. Taylor, your thoughts? Uh, That's what I was going to say. I I, I think Belgium right
2: now, of all the teams we've talked about, are the ones I feel... Most confident, in. maybe Italy. I guess I'll, I'll I'll leave that one to Graham since he did the previewing there. But Italy seemed like they've got some a strong footing For England, I, I think, as you said, Graham as you said, Ryan, a little bit because it's England. But also because normally when we see England going into a tournament, it's like they're the favorites, but they're not the favorites to win the whole thing. They're sort of like, ah, they should do well in their group, and then we'll see what happens. And I wonder how they handle that sort of pressure of having, the the favorite for the tournament or one of the favorites to win the whole thing badly how do you navigate that with the distractions they've already dealt with i just i do see them tripping up a little bit i think your like order was pretty
1: dead on i had it as croatia england scotland czech republic yep all right joe any any uh, diversion from that idea
3: Yeah, I think I'm going to be the only person not to put the Czech Republic on the bottom, which unfortunately (laughs) bumps Graham's country down to the bottom. I don't know if that's going to happen, but I'm going to go England, Croatia, Czech Republic, Scotland. And I I think England do have the best chance to win this tournament of anyone we've talked about so far, and that includes Belgium in my mind. But I do think it's most likely that the winner comes from Group F, the group of death, which we'll talk about next week, Uh, either France or Portugal most likely. But, man, England are stacked They are a very strong team, and it would not surprise me at all if they win this whole thing.
1: Mm, I'm excited about it, but also scared to vocalize that excitement, understandably, (laughs) given previous history. Gents, I think, unless there's any more for any more, that just about wraps up our preview of Euro 2020 Group D. Speak now, forever hold your peace. I'm going to leave two seconds of airtime. Do you want any more uh, Robert Burns or no? Okay. I'll just oh, give you some. Oh, can we? I'd love to close out with some Robbie Burns from you, Graham. If you've got any more in you, but if not, I will say uh, no, Taylor got, no. I don't have any more in me.
4: <laughs> I was well, hoping you were going to say no.
1: <laughs> the uh, oh, what was I going to say? No. Um, but the the uh, taste you gave us, Graham, was absolutely wonderful. Graham Rusbin, thank you very much for your time on this podcast. Thank you, Ryan. We managed to get through that without. Uh, killing each other <laughs> I think we both maintained our dignity rather well so congratulations to you and I'll give myself a pat on the back for that Joe Lowry congratulations to you for touting England's chances in this competition
3: thank, thank you you're welcome either way Ryan always a pleasure
1: <laughs> and always a pleasure Mr. Taylor Rockwell
3: Or oh,
2: flower of score Oh gosh, oh there gosh. You go. there you go, I got you buddy I got you <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm right back at you Ryan always fun I look forward to doing our final two previews next week Bye!